Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity to be here today. And, and Lord, you know each one of our needs. You know each one of our hearts. And right now, we just pray that we can just uh, open up to you. Let your word speak to us today. And again, we just thank you for, for loving us and saving us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you know who Jackie Robinson is, Anybody remember who Jackie Robinson is? had a movie about him a while back? But he was the first black man to play Major League Baseball. And in his first season with the Brooklyn Dodgers, he faced a lot of hard times no matter where he went. Opposing pitchers would throw fastballs at his head on purpose. Uh, runners would spike him on the bases on purpose. He'd have a lot of comments made to him. A lot of racial slurs. Um, even his hometown crowd in Brooklyn saw him as an object of reproach. Well, during one game in Boston, the taunts and the racial slurs seemed to reach a peak. And during, during the game, one of his teammates, a southern white man named Pee Wee Reese, called timeout, and he went, walked from his position at shortstop, and he went, walked over towards Jackie Robinson at second base, and with the crowd looking on, he just put his arm around Jackie Robinson's shoulders and said something to him. Now, Jackie Robinson can't remember what Pee Wee Reese said to him, but after that statement, the fans grew very quiet, and Robinson later on said it meant so much to him. Just him putting his arms around his shoulder, knowing that he was with him. And so when we think about friendships, I'm not talking about real simple acquaintances. I'm talking about people who just really care for you, care about you, people who will love you, they'll encourage you, they'll stick by your side no matter what's going on, no matter your sins and mistakes and all of that. And we just all need good and great friends like that. That's what our story's about in our scripture. And I'm not going to spend time reading that scripture again because we already had it read once. And so hopefully you have your Bibles or your phone app or whatever it is that you're doing. And we're going to take this passage out of Mark 2. And look at those first 12 verses. This passage is one of the greatest stories in the Bible about community. It involved a paralyzed man and his friends. And if you think of what it might have been like for a, a man that was paralyzed or a person paralyzed in the ancient world. Basically, they lived most of their life on a three foot by six foot mat. Someone had to feed them carry them, clothe them, move them, keep them from being covered with bed sores. They would never know what a sense of independence was like. The sad part is nothing could be done for them medically. There's no surgeries, no rehab programs, no treatment centers. Basically, this man has to go through life laying on this mat, as a beggar, being dependent on people dropping money beside him. And in a sense, he's poor. He, ha he has no job, no influence, no family, seemingly not much of a future. 
But what this man has going for him is he has some friends here in this story. Some amazing friends. He's in one of the most greatest small groups of all time. And this whole story in the scripture here this morning takes place because of his friends. Because without his friends, he would never make it to Jesus. In a sense, never gets forgiven. He, he's in one of those, because of his physical condition, the odds were against him probably having any friendships at all. Even, even today, there are people who wrestle with physical challenges, but they say sometimes the most difficult, obst difficult obstacles that they face are the attitudes of so-called normal people. How many feel they're normal today? I, I'm not normal, so it's okay. But there are people who don't know how to respond. You ever felt in one of those things? Sometimes, sometimes we say something that may be unkind. We don't mean it that way. Sometimes we look away. But in the ancient world, it was even worse. The Greeks regularly disposed of newborn infants with physical abnormalities. And then there was an assumption that if people were suffering physically, that somehow they must have brought it on themselves. In another New Testament story, the disciples see a blind man who is blind from birth, and they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And so they looked at it as a sinning thing. Or if you go into the Old Testament, the book of Job, Job has those wonderful and obnoxious friends who believe that Job was guilty of some kind of sin because of all the grief and all of the stuff that he was going through. That was the ancient belief. And sometimes today we have people that think that God must be punishing me or, or whatever, but that's not who God is. God is filled with grace and mercy and love and power and courage and life, and he gives that to us. And if we look at our story here in this passage, here's a small group of men who refuse to let an obstacle stop them. And I don't think this group, this small group, came about by accident. No matter what the social stigma might have been going on, no matter how inconvenienced they might have been, or financially strapped, or pressure of time, they chose to be friends to this man who was paralyzed. You don't just generally drift into community. One of the most countercultural statements in Scripture is the description of the early church. Luke wrote about it in Acts 2. He talked about the oneness of the people. He said that their heart, their spirit, their mind were one. And he said that every day they continued meeting together. Every day. Every day they worshiped together, they ate together, they prayed together. It's no wonder that they grew so close in that early church. I think sometimes the problems we have is we try to create that kind of community
in our culture today with our timetable. Our pace of life. We try to keep that same fast pace of our life, but then at the same time we try to want community. We want a small group support. I mean, how often do you hear the statement, we've just got to get together sometime? Or, let's get together when things settle down. I mean, we say those kinds of things, and I think we generally mean them. But the requirement for true intimacy and community is really unhurried time. If you think you can fit deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, you need to think again. We can't do community in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can try, but it'll get you in trouble probably. But I think sometimes we lack great friends in our lives because we've never realized the value of true community. We try to create community on the run. Or we try to fit it into our, our schedule without changing our lifestyle. Look back at our story. You got these four friends that are going to carry their friend on this mat. You can't carry somebody on a mat very fast. And you know what? Every one of us comes with a mat. That mat could stand for sinfulness in our lives. It could stand for brokenness. It could stand for imperfection. We all have this mat that's not normal about us. My mat's pretty big, by the way. <laughs> and it seems like we're all trying to hide our as-is tag. We don't want people to see us as we are. We have woundedness. But it's only when we allow other people to see our mat when we give and receive help with each other, is that healing becomes possible. I mean, maybe the mat that you have is a raging temper. Uh, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an inability to trust. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's a terrible secret that you just feel guilty about. Maybe it's a sense of failure. Maybe it's an inadequacy. Maybe it's just loneliness. But community is made up of all of the goodness and all of the badness of people. It's made up of people that are strong and powerful, yet at the same time, we're weak and we're poor. If you want a deep friendship, you can't always be the strong one. You will sometimes have to let somebody else carry your mat. That's what happens in this story. So Jesus comes to town. These four friends find out about it. And they think, hey, let's go hear that famous rabbi. We hear he does 
tremendous teaching and he even does some healing. And one of them says, well, we can't just the four of us go. We've we got to have our friend come too. They're probably look, looking at it. Well, maybe Jesus can encourage him. Maybe he could even heal him. Now, wouldn't that be cool? But somehow we've got to get him there. And so they pick up this man on his mat and they start carrying him. They're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about how they've got this friend here that they want to help. Friends do that. Friends serve one another. But they get to the place where Jesus is at this house and they realize the place is packed. Standing room only. There's no room for him, not even at the door. They can maybe see Jesus in the distance, but they can't get through to him. They probably never thought about that obstacle. Can you imagine four guys that didn't have a plan to begin with? They get to this place, and then one of them goes, Hey, I have an idea. Let's go up to the roof. Let's dig out the roof and just lower them in. And the other three are probably going, hmm, that's stupid. Let's try it. <laughs> this could be good. So they're desperate to get to Jesus. Nothing is going to get in their way. Jesus looks up at them and sees their faces. He probably sees their faces full of dirt, sweating like crazy. But then Mark tells us this amazing fact in verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. Usually healing stories speak about Jesus seeing the faith of the one asking to be healed. Or a lot of times it's a parent asking for their child to be healed. But here it is, the faith not of the man but of his friends. So they dig, dug through the roof, sent their friend in. They didn't say a word. It doesn't say that they said anything. Jesus turns and looks down on this man on the mat. He sees not only a broken body, but like in every one of us, he sees a broken person and a wounded soul. And Jesus simply says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now I wonder what the man on the mat's thinking about at this point. He didn't sign up to have his sins talked about. He'd already been in a bad case, everyone accusing him of some kind of sin that he's been doing. But here he sees grace being offered, and it's amazingly powerful. This man who had been mocked and judged by all the people around him, who assumed that he was paralyzed because of sin, is told by Jesus, you're clean. Your sins are forgiven. You're right with God. And there were critics in that room. And I'm not going to get lost in their hardened and arrogant hearts. Let's focus on the healing that took place. Now, it's been said that when you welcome people into your home, when you first get in the door and you get in the little foyer area, that's for the guests. 
You get a little closer to them, you bring them into your living room. That's where friendships are formed. But when you walk into the kitchen, that's where you find you really, really have family. I mean, isn't the kitchen the place you go to get comfortable? Right? Got all that comfort food in there? Jesus was concerned for his critics. He loved them just as he loved the men coming through the ceiling. But then he puts his words into action. He turns to the man on the mat and he says, this is after he said your sins are forgiven, he says, now, get up, take your mat, and go home. That guy laying there has got to be thinking, what? Everybody's watching. I've never walked in my life. Think about not having any muscle tone in, in, in your legs. Muscles deteriorated. Jesus must have cured it all. So the man stands up. He lifts his mat off the ground. He folds it up and takes off. His world has dramatically changed. Jesus has given him the gift of life. Spiritually, he's the healthiest guy in the room. Physically, he's the healthiest guy too. Every sin has been forgiven. He begins his journey home, probably walking and dancing and skipping and running and celebrating. And I think when he got home, he probably kept that mat in the corner just to remind him. This is what my life used to be. But he remembers when he looks at that mat, the amazing community of friends. Those four guys who crashed through the roof for him. His greatest gift was knowing Jesus, but he wouldn't have known Jesus if it weren't for his friends. A Christian community is a healing community, not because a lot of our physical ailments are alleviated, but because we can comfort one another, pray for one another, love one another, and share Christ with one another. Now, if you think of where we're at, Kersey Community Church, our middle name is community. And a lot of times we look at it as we got all these people in the city limits and outside the city limits. It's our Kersey community. What I'm going to say is that word community means a little bit more. It means we're a tight-knit group that's allowing God to work in our lives where we can reach out and share the gospel with the people that do not know the gospel. But we can come as we are, beaten up, hurt, broken, and allow us all to love on each other. God loves everybody. But think of the mission field that we have right here in our community to love the people that are less fortunate, to love the people that are suffering, and most of all, love the people that do not know Christ, that we can share the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for this example of these four men that 
did some amazing things of bringing their friend who was totally paralyzed and they brought him to you. And Lord, everybody was changed. And I just pray this morning that as we live our lives and we get go our separate ways after this morning and I just pray that it won't end here, that we can really draw into community and, and really be close with one another and share your love with the people around us. And Lord, I just pray even as we begin part of this communion service today, I just pray that you will just work in each one of our lives as we remember all that you've done for us. The suffering and the pain and the death for the sins of the world. But Lord, we also thank you that we're all alive and have eternal life because you live in the resurrection. So Lord, again, we just thank you for this time and just pray that you'll be with the rest of this worship service. And Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here that does not know you, that right where they're sitting, they ask you into their heart and life. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.